0: If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt. And nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls. We speak the language. Primo's. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt. And nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls. We speak the language. Primo's.
1: Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. With your host, Rob Snowett.
2: All right, let's do the carve cast. This is series one, episode 106. Everything I think you need to know about the common car in order to be a better carp angler. This is not going to be a podcast on how to fish for common carp. I did not utilize any carp fishing resources to gain information for this. No carp articles in magazines. I didn't reference carp fishing in books. Carp uh, discussions on podcasts. I didn't go to carp websites. This is mostly from scientific research papers from around the world. I wanted to answer questions that I had about Common Carp and let my clients and the listeners and other people know, once I gain this knowledge, what I have learned. This allows me to be a better guide, allows me to have more facts and information to educate my clients when we're on the water, and it also just gives me correct information and more information on things to talk about while we're out on the water. I do the research so you don't have to. This took a long time. In fact, today, this morning, which is October 25th, I was still trying to figure out stuff to include in this podcast. One thing I've learned is that the common carp is one of the species that's been nominated as among the 100 of the world's worst invaders. And it is the third most introduced fish in the world. And we're going to learn all about that today. There will be some redundancy. This is basically a a term paper on everything I know about carp. and I'm doing this as a podcast, not as a blog, because I'm not just maybe plagiarizing or paraphrasing or copy and pasting from scientific documents. Uh, When I do it like this, I don't really have to be held accountable. This is not a scientific presentation to a review board, so I can skip around. There might be, like I said, redundancies. And a lot of what I wanted to figure out are CARP myths, facts, fiction, truths. You can't just go to Snopes and type in every rumor you've heard about CARP. Uh, Ten of these things that I have been wondering about for a long time, uh, CARP, do they get tired when fighting? I've heard or read That carp process oxygen differently and they don't build up lactic acid and therefore they don't get tired as easily as other fish and thus the fight is going to be more intense. Are carp freshwater pigs? Well, they eat just about anything that's in fresh water. Do they have keen eyesight? Are carp considered the bonefish of fresh water or are bonefish considered the carp of salt water? Why do you never see baby carp? I've heard that carp don't eat fish eggs, which is odd when you use a glow bug pattern. Do carp communicate with each other via hormones and pheromones released into the water to communicate danger and warn other carps to flee the area? Do carp really live in the least appealing environments? Why are they considered trash fish? And how do we get them consistently to eat our flies regardless of angler goofs? So we're gonna go into all of this now. I don't know how long this is gonna take, but we're gonna go step-by-step through all of the talking points. I'm gonna talk today about carp phylogeny, description, distribution, habitat, and location, feeding and behavior, carp reproduction, commercial importance, some bizarre and interesting information about carp that didn't fit in the other bullet points, Some Tackle and Gear, Fishing Methods, and Flies. I've got 5,666 words or 17 pages of bulleted notes. If you do want the sources, feel free to email me, rob at robsnowwhite.com. If you want, I could probably just send you the 17-page Word document if you want, if you're bored enough to read it. Why read it when I am going to tell you all about it now? So, Common Carp. Belong to the kingdom Animalia, the subkingdom Bilateria, the infrakingdom Deuterostomia, phylum Chordata, subphylum Vertebrata, infraphylum Nathostomata, superclass Osteichthyes, the class Octinipterygii, which are the ray fin fishes, subclass Neopterygii, infraclass Teleostei, superorder osteophysiae, order Cypriniformes, which are the carps, superfamily Cyprinodia, family Cyprinidae, which is minnows and carps, genus Cyprinus, and the species is Carpio. So the scientific name is Cyprinus Carpio, first described by Carol von Linnae or Carolus Linnaeus in 1758, and we've talked about Carolus Linnaeus for years now on this podcast in systemic nomenclature of organisms. Scientists have identified four subspecies of common carp. These subspecies are Cyprinus carpio carpio, European trans-caucasian common carp from the Danube River Basin in the natural waters up to the Ural Mountain Range. There is Cyprinus carpio, Erylenensis, the Aral common carp from Central Asia, Cyprinus carpio hematopterus, Amur common carp from the Amur River basin in southern China, which now is named Cyprinus rubrofuscus, and Cyprinus carpio viridivolasius, the North Vietnamese common carp. So to refer to the jumping carp that are infiltrating the Mississippi River and soon to be the Great Lakes, you can't refer to those as Asian carp because it appears that just about all the carps, all the carps seem to have originated in Asia. So it's redundant, if not misleading, to refer to those jumping carp as Asian carp. There are two genetic mutants that show either few or extremely large scales, the mirror carp, or no scales at all, the leather carp. In Latin, cyprinus means carp. Cyprinus is the old word named for carp. People believe that the goldfish is a young carp. Goldfish and common carp are actually two distinct species. Let's talk about physical characteristics and descriptions. The original common carp was found in the inland deltas of the Danube River about 2,000 years ago. It had two pairs of barbels and a mesh-like scale pattern. It was initially kept as an exploited captive, later maintained in large, specifically built ponds by the Romans in south-central Europe. This is verified by the discovery of comic carp remains in excavated settlements in the Danube Delta area. Variants that have arisen with domestication include the mirror carp with large mirror-like scales, Linear mirror or scaleless, except for a row of large scales that run along the lateral line. These originated in Germany. The leather carp, which is virtually unscaled except for near the dorsal fin. There is the koi carp. koi, in Japanese is a domesticated ornamental variety that originated in the Niigata region of Japan in the 1820s. There are koi carp, which are ornamental strain, which are brightly colored with orange, yellow, white and black markings. If these escape into the wild, however, koi carp soon revert to the wild colorings of their native and natural descendants. Domestic carp have a much faster growth rate and a relatively short body with a high back and deep belly. The body is grayish to bronze in color with two fleshy barbells that project downwards at either side of the mouth. The number of scales varies greatly between individuals. Again, the leather carp have no scales, and the mirror carp have fewer yet larger scales. Told you there'd be some redundancy today. Wild common carp are typically slimmer than the domesticated forms. The body length is about four times the body height. It has a redder flesh, forward protruding mouth, And the mouth is terminal. It's shaped like a vacuum cleaner. And there might be some conflicting information in some of these facts based on the variety of sources. The maximum length of the common carp is 120 centimeters. The common length can be 31 centimeters. The maximum published weight is 88 pounds, and the average age is 10.2 years. The maximum reported age is 38. However, my parents saw a carp in one of the ponds in a Japanese palace that was supposed to be from the 1800s. The typical lifespan is 13 to 20 years in the wild. Males live longer than females. Average growth rate by weight is about half the growth rate of domesticated carp. Wild carp do not reach the lengths and weights of domesticated carp. The average size of the common carp is around 15.75 to 31.5 inches and 4.5 to 31 pounds. They can grow to very large sizes if given adequate space and nutrients. They can grow to very large sizes if given adequate space and nutrients. In Harry Potter terms, this is known as corantipic. Carp live an average of 17 to 20 years, but some carp have been known to live up to 47 years in captivity. The oldest recorded age is 65, but reliable information seems to exist about Nishikikoi of over 100 years, which that would explain the carp my dad photographed in Japan. The largest recorded carp caught by an angler in January 2010 at Lac du Curtin's or Rainbow Lake near Bordeaux, France, weighed 94 pounds. The largest recorded carp caught by British angler Colin Smith in 2013 at etang la Soussasse fishery, France, weighed 100.5 pounds. The first dorsal and anal fin spines are serrated. Scales are large and thick. The dorsal spines have a total of 3 to 4. Dorsal soft rays number 17 to 23. There are 2 to 3 anal spines. And five to six anal soft rays. The dorsal fin with 15 to 20 and a half branched rays. And that caudal fin is deeply emarginate, having a notched margin or tip. There's going to be a lot of new vocabulary words today. Emarginate is one of them. The tail is forked and it's often a reddish color. Locomotion is via body and or caudal fin. Males and females look very similar, except males have a slightly larger ventral fin. The mouth, which is a key identifying characteristic of the common carp, opens in an accordion-like fashion. There are two pairs of barbels, which are slender, whisker-like sensory organs. One pair on the upper lip and the other pair on the corners of the lower lip, house the taste buds and are used to search for food in murky water. Carp have taste buds scattered all over their head, barbels, and on their fins. No other species that closely resembles the carp have these barbels. Carp have robust, molar-like, with crowned, flattened, or somewhat furrowed teeth. The pharyngeal teeth are teeth in the pharyngeal arch of the throat of cyprinids, suckers, and a number of other fish species otherwise lacking teeth. Earlier, when I said robust molar-like, I was quoting in the air, like Dr. Evil. Presented in a formula, the pharyngeal teeth from the outer to the inner row, left arch, then the inner to the outer rows of the right arch. The pharyngeal teeth count is 1-1-3-3-1-1. The common carp has no stomach. Therefore, the ingested food arriving from the mouth passes directly into the intestine. The actual length of the intestine depends on, among others, the food and feeds consumed during the early stages of life. Let's discuss distribution, habitat, and location. The common carp currently resides in 139 countries, where they were raised in fish ponds known as piscinae by the ancient Romans who also spread them around Europe one of the first fish species whose distribution was widely extended by human introduction. Carp are the third most widely cultivated and commercially important freshwater fish species in the world. Grass carp ranked first and silver carp are second. Their native range also extends to the Black Sea, Caspian Sea, and Aral Sea, with wild stocks only present naturally in rivers draining to the Black, Caspian, and Aral Cyprinus carpio is native to much of Europe, notably the Danube and Volga rivers. Cyprinus yilmaz, or the Denny's carp, is from Anatolian Turkey, notably around Corum. Cyprinus hematopterus, possibly the Amur carp, though I could not find anything more about this one, is native to Eastern Asia, though recent authorities treat it as a separate species under the name Amur carp, aka. Cyprinus rubrofuscus In Europe, domestication of carp as food sources was spread by monks between the 13th and 16th centuries and even more so after World War II when food was scarce. China in 1997 produced more than 250,000 tons of carp for human consumption. Southeast Asia carp are often cultured in rice fields. Common carp have been introduced to most continents and some 59 countries. Reasons given for the introduction of the species include aquaculture, fisheries, diffused from other countries, angling, snail control, research, ornamental purposes, accidental introductions, weed control, and unknown. The wild forms of carp had already reached the delta of the Rhine in the 12th century, probably with some human help. For those of us here in the United States of America, it is unclear when and where common carp were first introduced to the U.S. Entrepreneurs began to import the prized fish, hoping to provide a familiar, profitable food source to the rapidly growing nation. Julius A. Pope started with five cultivated carp and turned them into a thriving farm he began to lobby for the national cultivation of this hardy fish. Common carp were brought to the United States in 1831 after the US Commission of Fish and Fisheries began an intensive effort of carp cultivation. The fish's ability to live and reproduce in a variety of water conditions allowed it to quickly invade other waterways. They were expected to have little impact on native fishes. Six or seven dozen carp were introduced in 1831 to 1832 into ponds adjacent to the Hudson River
1: Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: 345 fish were stocked in Druid Hill Park in Baltimore, May 26, 1877. Of those 345, 227 were naked mirror carp. That's when I got to bust out Jack K 227. 118 were common scale carp. And from these stocks were introduced to Virginia by the Virginia Fish Commission in 1880. In 1878, some of the fish reared at Baltimore were transferred to Washington, D.C. as Baltimore's water didn't have proper conditions. Baltimore carp hybridized with goldfish in 1878 during their first spawn. 2,000 hybrids were destroyed as being considered worthless. Additional imports were made in 1879 and 1882. A separate introduction to the west coast of North America was made in 1872 in California. Massive exports in 1882, consisting of 260,000 carp, were sent to 298 of 301 congressional districts, as well as the Hawaiian Islands, 19th century, uh, whatever you call Hawaii back then, territory. They were distributed widely through the U.S. by the government as a food fish, but they are no longer prized as a food fish. I did have one client whose dad would make carp marinara and stored in mason jars. She said one day he wanted a hunting trip, and while he was gone, they dumped it all out. and He came back, and they played dumb. She said it was pretty disgusting. Between 1879 and 1896, the number of Common carp annually distributed by the USFC, and that should be the United States Fisheries Commission, vary between 12,265 and 348,784. The USFC stopped distributing common carp in 1896. By 1883, this fish was being caught by fishermen on the Great Lakes and the Mississippi River and had been stocked in the Sacramento and Columbia Rivers on the West Coast. Commissioners nationwide noted a deterioration of formerly clear and fertile lakes and waterways upon the arrival of common carp by the turn of the century. Carp removal programs began in the 1950s to concentrate instead upon the control of carp populations and their migrations into game fish waters. Minnesota declared the practice of leaving caught carp on the shoreline illegal in 1981. Apparently, dogs would eat the dead and stinking, rotting fish. Common carp are patadromous. Fish migrations are usually shorter, typically from lake to streams or vice versa, for spawning purposes. Patadromous fresh to fresh water. These fish do not die after spawning. These common carp were further introduced to every part of the world except the poles. The third most frequently introduced species worldwide. They're also known as a schooling fish. They prefer to be in groups of five or more. Typically, they're found in small schools, although larger carp often lead a solitary existence. They're found most notably in temperate climates, in water that is fresh or slightly brackish with a pH of 5 to 9.0 and a salinity of up to 0.5%. They prefer water temperatures of 37 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit, but the ideal temperature is 73 to 86 degrees Fahrenheit. They're acclimated to a variety of habitats in extremes of the environment. Example, high salinities and low oxygen concentrations. So where exactly are you going to find these fish based on those criteria? Well, their ability to exploit a range of available habitats allows them to take advantage of degraded habitats. They're most abundant in streams enriched with sewage or substantial runoff from agricultural land and are rarer in clear cold waters and streams of high gradients. Carp can tolerate water with very low oxygen levels by gulping air at the surface. Common carp are found in eutrophic areas, lakes or other bodies of water rich in nutrients, and there's so many nutrients they support a dense plant population. The decomposition of these plants will eventually kill animals' life by depriving them of oxygen in the lakes and large rivers. They do not appear to prefer riverine conditions. They do prefer large bodies of slow or standing water and soft vegetative sediments. They like silt bottoms. They're found at low altitudes of up to 500 meters above sea level. They can be found in brackish lower reaches of some rivers and coastal lakes. Occurring naturally in open river systems, they are never known to dominate the environment. So again, they're not known for being a major inhabitant of rivers they prefer large to small man-made reservoirs pools in slow to fast-moving streams larger bodies of slow water with soft sediment bottoms and the larger fish generally frequent deeper waters the adults inhabit warm deep slow-flowing and still waters such as lowland rivers and large, well-vegetated lakes. Hardy and tolerant of a wide variety of conditions, but generally favoring large bodies of water with slow-flowing or standing water and soft bottom sediments. You're seeing a um, theme here in the sources. A lot of slow water, soft bottoms. They do thrive in large turbid rivers, and most active at dusk and dawn, we call them crepuscular or diurnal, During winter, carp go into deeper water, which will be comparatively warmer than water in shallow areas where they exhibit semi-torpid behavior. They will also school up in winter. They can easily survive winter in a frozen-over pond as long as there is some free water which remains below the ice. Let's talk about growth and reproduction. Carp are dioecious, or of two houses. We know that, botanically speaking, from... Plants that have a male flower and a female flower. So they have to be pollinated by the male to the female, either by wind or an organism or some other way. Carp are very similar. They have distinct male and female organisms. They utilize external fertilization. Common carp may be sexually mature as early as by the end of the first year, but three to four years is more common. Carp reach sexual maturity in 3-4 to years, but male carp mature before the female. They have a long breeding season of up to 9 months, depending on where they live. They are vulnerable to extinction if the decline in the biomass or numbers exceeds its threshold over the length of 10 years or 3 generations. They do not multiply readily in clear, cold water. Carp spawn in marginal, shallow, weed-infested areas. They spawn along shores or in backwaters, typically spawning in the spring in response to rising water temperatures and rainfall. Carp can spawn multiple times in a season. They are known as partitional spawners, spawning two or three times over a 14-day interval. Under tropical conditions, carp breed throughout the year. They are batch spawners, multiple spawning of an individual in a spawning season, a fish which sheds eggs more than once through a spawning season rather than within a short period. Common carp are also known to interbreed with the common goldfish, Carassius auretus. When mature female carp are ready to lay eggs, she will secrete pheromones to attract all the potential mates in the area. That's one method of removal of carps is to put those pheromones in to attract the males. Adults often undertake considerable spawning migrations to suitable backwaters in flooded meadows. Temperate reproduction success is restricted to years when the water level starts rising in May and when high temperatures and flooding of terrestrial vegetation last for long periods during May and June. Carp are not selective to their choice of substrate for egg attachment. Carp are known as obligatory plant spawners. Individual females spawn with a few males in dense vegetation. The sticky eggs are attached to water plants or other submerged objects. The males are attracted to her by her smell and will jostle for position around the female until she is ready to spawn. Carp are polygamous. Once she has laid her eggs, she stops producing the pheromones and the group of males disperses. Spawning begins at 63 to 64 degrees Fahrenheit. External egg layers, typical adult females can lay 300,000 eggs in a single spawn. A single carp can lay over a million eggs in a year. Commercial operations where spawning is often stimulated using the process of hypophysation, where localized pituitary extracts are injected into the fish. The pituitary extract contains gonadotropic hormones, which stimulate gonad maturation and sex steroid production, ultimately promoting reproduction. Again, eggs are fixed on plants or stones. They hatch in four days. Larval growth is very rapid, enabling them to quickly escape predation pressure. Carp do not guard their young. There is no parental involvement. Once the eggs are laid, the adults are done with them. The eggs are spherical, sticky yellow to orange amber. The fertilized eggs are small, demersal, which means an egg which remains at the bottom either free or attached to the substrate. They are adhesive to weeds, grass, or similar material such as artificial or vegetable fiber. Eggs may be cleared yellow in color. Eggs and fry often fall victim to bacteria, fungi, and the vast array of tiny predators in the pond environment. Larvae survive only in warm water among shallow submerged vegetation. Juveniles are preyed upon by other fish such as northern pike and largemouth bass, a number of birds, including cormorants, herons, goosenders, also known as mergansers, and ospreys. Mammals, including otters and minks, will eat the juveniles as well. Adults often undertake considerable spawning migrations to suitable backwaters and flooded meadows in the springtime. Feeding and behavior. Carp are most active at dusk and dawn. They are found in small schools with larger and older individuals living solitary lives. They are omnivorous. They eat plants, detritus, zoobenthos, organisms. Their diet varies between location, stream versus lake, and from season to season depending on food availability. Carp may feed upon food resources previously unexploited by the native fish in the same location. They have a specialized feeding mechanism of through the substrate which allows them to take advantage of potentially underutilized resources, including detritus, at a base level of the food chain. They consume up to 13.5 times their body weight per year. They feed by roiling, straining material from the mud to make a cloudy or turbid liquid stirring up dregs of sediment. They will also feed on the surface by skimming floating particles. I saw that last year in Colorado when they were eating floating ants, and ants that were just under the surface that had drowned. Warmer water with lots of food means they're going to grow faster. Deoxygenated water slows their feeding, which is usually in winter under the ice. The protein myoglobin, acts as an oxygen store in the heart and muscle cells of humans and vertebrate animals. It also exists in many other tissues of the common carp, enabling it to survive in low-oxygenated environments. An entirely new form of the protein that exists only in the carp's brain, which is the first time any vertebrate animal has been found to possess more than one type of this protein. The genus Carassius, which are the Crucian carp and goldfish, Use lactic acid cycles to convert lactic acid into ethanol, which diffuses quite easily into the water which washes over the fish's gills, which excretes it out of the body and prevents buildup of the toxic levels. The ethanol production allows the Crucian carp to survive and exploit harsh environments. This means they avoid competition and escape predation by other fish species with which they normally interact in better oxygenated waters. CARP have daily nutritional requirements for vitamins, minerals, proteins, amino acids, carbohydrates, oils, and fiber. CARP can smell amino acids emitted by bloodworms, crayfish, and aquatic plants. Green-lipped mussels extract kelp extract, liver powder, and molasses contain sucrose amino acids, which the CARP have learned to recognize as having nutritional value. How does a carp eat, you might wonder? Well, when a carp is feeding on small food items, it sucks in a lot of inedible, organic and inorganic items, such as leaves, sand, or small stones. The carp sort through all these items, expelling the inedible and consuming the edible ones, which involves a complex process utilizing a range of feeding apparatuses the fish possess. When feeding on particles, the carp firstly extends its protractable mouth So that its lips touch the substrate below it then sucks up the particles which is where the first stage of sorting occurs in the oral cavity as the larger inedible items are expelled back out from the mouth the particles are then taken back into the buccal cavity or the mouth cavity where further sorting takes place with the aid of a palatal organ a muscular area on the roof of the mouth which is covered in taste buds inside the carp's mouth the buccal cavity is lined with a folded membrane with tough ridges. All those ridges increase surface area. It's one thing I'll always talk about when I'm talking biology stuff. You got to increase surface area and prevent desiccation. They're already in water, so they don't have to worry about the desiccation. When the palatal organ tastes something edible, the particles are then taken back into the buccal cavity or the mouth cavity, where further sorting takes place with the aid of a palatal organ, a muscular area on the roof of the mouth, which is covered in taste buds. Inside the carp's mouth, the buccal cavity is lined with a folded membrane with tough ridges. Those folds increase surface area, which allows for more taste buds. There is a theme in nature where everything has increased surface area. The mucosa is covered by microscopic projections called papillae and are richly provided by mucus goblet cells and taste buds. The palatal taste organ on top of the mouth traps the food against the bottom of the mouth. When the palatal organ tastes something edible, it holds onto the items. Non-food items are expelled through the gill opening. Larger items are spat out. Approximately 97 percent of what the carb takes in is ejected. The edible particles are then passed back to the pharyngeal teeth where they are crushed ready for digestion. The pharyngeal teeth are lined in three rows on each side of the mouth, with three teeth in the innermost row and one tooth each in the two outer rows. That was the pharyngeal teeth formula I gave earlier. I think it was 11133111. The teeth are positioned below a tough calcified pad. Food is ground between the pad and the pharyngeal teeth. The duct, which carries the ground food up to the intestine and receptive sac, called the oesophagus, a.k.a. the food pipe, lampreys, hagfishes, chimeras, lungfishes, and some teleost, or fishes have no stomach at all, which the oesophagus opening directly into the intestine. These animals all consume diets that either require little storage of food or no predigestion with gastric juices or both. Again, carp do not have a stomach. Digestion takes place in the intestine, which is twice the length of the body. Different enzymes are secreted by the pancreas along the intestine. Trypsin and chemotrypsin are used to break down proteins. Worms, insect larva, and fresh vegetable matter are only partly digested and serve as roughage to keep the intestine active and healthy carp will also ingest silt and other indigestible detritus to bulk out their diet. The process is constantly occurring as the fish graze on the particle baits moving around the area filtering through items that it draws into the mouth. The sorting and filtering process takes some time and is why the carp can be kept feeding on smaller items of food for longer than feeding on larger items. Carp may test the food's nutritional content with its taste buds to determine if it has gone off. Uprooting submerged vegetation, it also increases the cloudiness of the water, which can have detrimental effects on native wildlife. Carp may destroy, uproot, disturb, and eat submerged vegetation, causing serious damage to native ducks, such as canvasbacks, and other fish populations. Carp prefer to scavenge the bottom sediment for insects, crustaceans, including zooplankton, crayfish, and benthic worms. There is also evidence that common carp prey on the eggs of other fish species, which may be responsible for the decline of the razorback sucker in the Colorado River and the white sturgeon in the Columbia River. Adults and juveniles feed on a variety of benthic organisms and plant material. Its digging activity for browsing benthic macroinvertebrates is effective down to approximately 3 to 12 centimeters. They can eat an herbivorous diet of water plants. They will also take aquatic plants and insects from the surface. In winter, individuals go into deeper waters, which tend to be somewhat warmer than shallow water. They have led to the decline of many fish populations. Again, their feeding behavior destroys native fish spawning habitats. Carp reduce macrophyte masses in waterways in three ways. Bioturbation. The restructuring of sedimentary deposits, a.k.a. resuspending clay particles in the water, as in lake bottoms or seabeds, by moving organisms such as worms and burrowing clams. One benefit of their feeding technique is that they serve as nutrient pumps, resuspending nutrients that are hidden away in the soil, introducing phosphorus into the water, causes algae blooms. If the density of common carp is not excessive, an increase in nutrient availability may enhance photosynthesis and plankton production, whereas if it is excessive, it causes dramatic ecological disruption at both the community and ecosystem levels by changing the abiotic properties of the water. Stirring up river substrate and reducing aquatic vegetation carp can make waterways unattractive and can render the water unsuitable for swimming or drinking by livestock. Through direct consumption, carp have been known to feed on tubers and young shoots, indirectly by increasing turbidity, which in turn limits available sunlight, reducing photosynthesis. Carp have been shown to decrease water quality by increasing turbidity and increasing the amount of nutrients in the water. CARP are believed to stimulate algal bloom formation by increasing nutrient release from sediments and decreasing algal grazing by cladocerans, otherwise known as daphnia, which the juvenile CARP prey on. CARP increase turbidity directly by resuspending sediments and indirectly by increasing nutrients and thus increasing phytoplankton in the water column. As ecosystem engineers, they will transform water from clear to turbid with ecosystem-wide consequences. Carp increase nutrients in the water column in several ways. A minimal amount of nutrients are introduced in the water column directly by sediment resuspension. Carp act as nutrient pumps when they consume the nutrient-rich benthic sediments and then excrete those nutrients back into the water column in a form that is available to others this tendency to cause a general decay in water quality and the high fecundity of the carp has caused them to be generally regarded as a nuisance common lack of soluble phosphorus which acts as a limiting nutrient for phytoplankton growth common carp enhance phytoplankton productivity by releasing nutrients including soluble phosphorus from the sediment again these fish become a nuisance species When they overpopulate, the most successful method involves killing all fish in a lake with a poison and then restocking the desirable species. Let's talk about their sense of smell. The olfactory organs, used for smelling, are in the form of a pair of nostrils or nares located between the eyes and mouth on the head of the fish. The nares have a flap of skin externally in between two openings that help to channel water into a highly sensitive olfactory bulb system.
1: In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium, bovine, and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all.
2: The water entering the olfactory system does not go into the fish's body, and the system can be thought of as a U-shaped tube. Each nostril has two openings, one for water entering and one for water exiting. At the back of the nostril, there is a sensory service called the olfactory epithelium. As water passes over the surface, it allows the carp to sense any substance dissolved into that water and determine if it is a good food source. The YouTube system provides a constant flow of water over the olfactory epithelium, allowing for continuous information being feedback to the carp, which aids in the locating and identification of food items. The carp's sense of smell is highly sensitive. It allows it to detect low levels of chemicals given off by natural prey, such as bloodworms, snails, or other crustaceans. They are also able to distinguish between sweet, savory, and salty substances. The olfactory system is so sensitive, the carp can detect shrimp hidden in gravel or even bloodworms buried deep in silt beds. The carp uses its sense of smell to locate food sources over long distances. Once closer, when it can touch potential feed items, the fish will then rely on the sense of taste to locate and identify food. Carp eyesight. Eyes are on the side of the head, which give it a very wide angle of vision, ideal for avoiding predation and finding the anglers that are targeting them. Relatively small blind spot directly behind them and they have a large area of monocular vision at each side of their body. Small blind spots occur right at the front of the nose. Binocular vision where they can focus sharply on objects are relatively close ranges. And at very close ranges, they depend on their barbels, sense of touch and taste to detect food. They cannot judge distances very well. Carp are good at spotting fast movements both in and out of the water in clear conditions. Carp can see in color. Carp, like many fishes, have well-developed color vision. Their eyes contain both rod and cone receptors in much the same way our eyes do, and this supports the evidence that they can see colors clearly. The carp has four types of cone cells that detect red, green, blue, and ultraviolet meaning carp can see a broader spectrum of light than humans. Carp are able to see in dark conditions such as at night or in turbid water. Their eyes have developed to see in low light levels beneath the water's surface. Eyesight is not the most important useful of senses, where the water is highly turbid and light penetration is low. The carp will then use their sense of smell and taste, which are utilized far more in locating food. They can see in lower light levels and can also detect ultraviolet light. That is redundant. CARP Hearing CARP have highly effective ears which can detect frequencies from 60 to 6,000 Hz. Located inside its body on either side of the head, just above the gills at the rear of the brain. Their ears feature a fluid-filled sac with tiny hairs set on an ear bone, known as the otolith which detects vibrations in the water. These are connected by a set of bones, the Weberian apparatus, to the swim bladder, which acts as an amplifier. Carp will listen for people and voices in places where they're regularly fed and will show up for food when they smell the food. Go back earlier to the different smells they can detect. When I was in Australia, people like to chum the carp up in Lake Burley Griffin with white bread. I, of course, had no luck doing that. Carp feed on the following specific organisms: cladocerans or water fleas, ostracods or seed shrimp, copepods, fairy shrimp, fish eggs, fish larvae, oligochaete or worms, gastropods, bivalves, mollusks, beetles, quote fish remains plant seeds at the service, such as alum or ragweed, and seeds contain carbohydrates, and carp feeding on seeds may be preferentially seeking carbohydrate-rich, high-energy-level food at that time. They will seek out crustaceans, such as rotifers and gamorous scuds. They like to eat tube-effects worms, caddisflies, and Tenepediae or Chironomids, small red larvae, emphasis on red midges. I came across red midges as a food source more than most other organisms in doing my research. Carp are fed on by these specific organisms. Striped bass, sea lampreys, mandarin fish, also known as the Chinese perch, channel catfish, bowfin, largemouth bass. Northern pike minnow or Columbia River dace, northern pike, Murray cod, golden perch, walleye, European perch, Madagascar Cob, wells catfish, Atlantic uh, sorry, Asiatic shovel-nosed catfish, Barramundi, merle snakehead, knife fish from the Indus, Ganges, Brahmaputra, and Mahanadi river basins helicopter catfish, or wilago, quote-unquote seabirds, blue herons, water rats in New Guinea and Australia, and an unidentified spider. And they're also fed on by humans, being one of the largest consumed organisms in the world. They are typically caught by Polish and Eastern Europeans around Christmas time, prior to Christmas, where they are put in bathtubs for several days where they can clean out and get rid of the muddy taste within them and they're served on christmas. Commercial importance. Cyprinus carpio is the number one fish of aquaculture. Carp are used as food in many areas. China produces China produces 70% of the world's edible carp. Those fish are susceptible to numerous parasites, fungus and bacterial infections. The native wild populations are considered vulnerable to extinction. They are considered a destructive invasive species being included in that list of the 100 worst invasive species. Now, you're noticing a trend on these podcasts. The bluegill are invasive. The smallmouth bass was considered one of the worst invasive species of all time. And now we're doing the carp. So we basically really like to fish for invasive species. But if we're not fishing for them, if there's no commercial importance to the fly angler, then they're bad. They're good for us as anglers, and we kind of turned a blind eye. The history as a farm fish dates back to the Roman times and regarded as pests in some regions due to their ability to outcompete other native fish stocks. The health of numerous small lakes and fisheries has suffered globally from the presence of carp. In the absence of natural predators or commercial fishing, they may extensively alter their environment due to their reproductive rate and their feeding habit of grubbing through bottom sediments for food. The koi herpes virus has been introduced into carp waters with its high mortality rate to reduce populations. Let's talk about Australia. The Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization developed a technique for genetically modifying carp so that they only produce male offspring, This daughterless carp method shows promise for totally eradicating carp from Australia's waterways. Carp increase nutrients in the water column in two ways, by sediment resuspension and by excretion. They may pose a threat to wetlands that are used by many fish as spawning and nursery habitats. Removal using their behavior is one key way to take advantage of them. The first is that adult carp aggregate together, or shoal, under the ice during which times they can be located using telemetry and removed with same nets. The second way to remove them, using their own natural characteristics, is their migration routes from lakes to marshes to spawn, which can be blocked or targeted for removal. In Lake Naivasha, Kenya, carp and Louisiana Red Swamp Crayfish, which are both non-native, eat the same types of food from the lake bed if they're not in conflict. However, with the carp's population in increase, the crayfish were forced to eat a lower quality diet including hippo feces. Now, I don't know if the crayfish are used for food there. This article did not state that. But yes, carp will uh, inhabit areas in Africa with crayfish that will then eat hippo poop when the carp eat their food. Who knew these things, right? The dietary niche of the crayfish has been squeezed to such an extent that it is now almost impossible to catch crayfish in the lake anymore. I don't know if that's good or bad. Let's talk about some bizarre stuff with carp. Common carp have been observed to be exceptional at leaping out of the water when threatened by predators or frightened by passing watercraft. Carp jump to allow them to adjust their level in the water. The swim bladders linked to the oesophagus and is used to control their depths in the water column. By increasing or decreasing the volume of gas in the swim bladder, the fish can either move up or sink down in the water column, just like a scuba diver's buoyancy compensator. By leaping or swilling on the surface, a carp can force air into its swim bladder through its esophagus. The shock caused by the fish landing serves to force the gas out of its body. When they need to eliminate this buildup, any leap facilitates the task. A carp jumping out of the water and landing with a splash can force the air out of the swim bladder, allowing them to sink down. More often, when fish have been in deeper water and need to regulate their swim bladder, that is when you see the carp leaping. They need to regulate their vertical location in the water column. Leaping carp may also serve to remove sharp particles of shells in its gills from the crushing process of the pharyngeal teeth. They may jump to clear their gills of sediment from feeding or to adjust their position in a school. Common carp can leap obstacles up to one meter high and negotiate torrential flows. In the early 1990s, biologists exposed control groups of carp to 1,600 chemicals commonly present in the United States waters. Only 135 of the pollutants killed these fish. Carp are able to survive extended periods of time with no food, and they will gulp air at the surface. They can tolerate periods when oxygen levels are very low in the fall by gulping air. Let's talk about tackle. What do you need to catch a common carp? I like a 9 foot 6 weight. Just my preference. Like I said up earlier, these fish can get big, so you want to be prepared to fight them. I like a large arbor reel with a quick pickup so I can get these fish on the reel. I can't save any of the fish that I have landed, those being carp, if that wasn't applied, have been by stripping the fish in. I'm not the greatest carp angler because I don't really find their habitats, the suitable habitats, near where I live. So from my experience, I like a large arbor that's got fast pickup. I have been using a clear floating fly line per a listener's suggestion, our listener that lives in the Syracuse area. I like that line and flies. Listen to what was mentioned above for what a fish eats and that'll help you stock your box. Basically match what is in the water or what looks enticing to a carp. Now, where to find carp? Fishing for them. Feeding areas favored by carp are easily recognized as depressions in the sediment. You'll see where they bite mouthfuls of the mud out and spit it. And if you find those mouth depressions, you know carp are feeding there. Cold fronts intensify their feeding instincts with the onset of cooler air and water. Fish are always more aggressive when the wind is blowing. Oxygen levels increase, light penetration in the water is decreased, and plankton is abundant. Like I said, this is more about background of carp than how to fish for them. Flies. I think a properly delivered fly is greater than the pattern. You choose. I've caught carp on some pretty stupid, unrealistic-looking flies that just happened to be presented well. Match the hatch: nymphs, mayflies, stoneflies, caddisflies, dragonflies, damselflies, worms. There's a variety of wormflies out there for carp. Same with crayfish, midges. There's maggot cluster flies. There are clam flies. And guess what? We now know why they eat glowbugs and egg flies. Carp do, in fact, feed on eggs of other fish. They feed on mulberries. So you use mulberry flies in the summer, small buggers, and I already mentioned bread flies. And you want to have a little bit of all of these in a variety of colors, sizes, and weights to get down to different depths of water and to have different or reduced sounds when they land in the water so as not to spook the fish. Let's talk about books. There's not a whole lot of books on fly fishing for carp, mostly because these were seen as uh, trash or garbage fish. Didn't really make it into popular fly fishing until, I say, about 15 years ago. Carp on the Fly by Barry Reynolds. There's the Orvis Guide to Fly Fishing for Carp by Kirk Dieter and Chris Hunt. The Best Carp Flies by Jay Zimmerman, and Carpenizer Carp Fishing Calendar. If you want to see what some might say are lovely ladies holding carp on a monthly basis, you can check out the Carpenizer. There's also the Mad River Outfitters Fly Fishing for Carp VHS slash DVD with Dave Whitlock. That pretty much summarizes everything I found in this podcast on carp. Just about an hour long. And let's go over, lastly, some of the things that we may or may not have finally determined to be true. Uh, Carp don't get tired when fighting. I could not find anything on the internet about the exhaustion levels and oxygen processing and metabolism and metabolic rates of a carp once it is hooked. I don't know where I read or heard of that, but we're going to say that is false. Are they freshwater pigs? They will eat anything. Pretty much. Carp will pretty much eat just about anything. If you go through some of the European carp websites, which I did come across but didn't utilize, the baits and stink levels and colors and sight levels on their baits is quite astronomical. Do carp have keen eyesight? Well, yes, in ways, more so in clear water, and they also have blind spots. So take that into account when you are stalking carp. Carp are like freshwater bonefish. Well, yeah, their mouth is down, their eyes are down, and they're looking on the bottom, feeding on Benthic organisms, just like a bonefish. There are plenty of other fish that utilize that same technique out there. They are found in 159 countries around the world, in places that most of us live where we fish. And bonefish live in other places that we travel to for vacations. You never see baby carp. Uh, Didn't really answer that, but we did realize that juveniles are preyed upon by several organisms. I've just never seen a baby carp. Carp don't eat eggs. Well, we disproved that. Carp communicate with each other via the hormones. I read, listened, or watched somewhere that carp, when they are startled, will release a pheromone in the water, and that serves as a signal, similar to what ants would do, that say, warning, warning, escape area, danger here. I found nothing about that. When I did look up the hormones and stuff, it's mostly when I came across the lactic acid cycle of goldfish, and crucian carp. Carp live in the least appealing environments, absolutely. Most of that is due to their destructive nature. The habitats that they're in, that's where they were dumped in over 100 years ago, which were already degraded by the practices of the 1800s where populations in America exploded and there was more sewage and runoff and deforestation. So not only was the carp that allowed for this to happen, but it was the people that put them there in the first place. Also, they were put there in the first place to take place of the fish that had previously lived there, which were all killed off by those people. Are they a trash fish? I don't know what your definition of a trash fish is. That's just like saying, uh, I don't know, pizza is trash food when there's so many exotic foods you can eat out there. But you know what? Everyone likes pizza, and if you give most anglers a chance to fly fish for carp, it'll humble them and they'll change their mind. I got humbled last week on the Sino Canal. I dropped more F-bombs out there fishing in 40 minutes. I gave up. I said, screw it. There's no room to backcast, cast, and being on an elevated towpath with a 45-degree angle down to the water, that 45-degree angle was covered in dead, dried-up weeds from this year, and every roll cast Every attempt to pick up my fly I got caught in that, and I was so frustrated, I said, Screw it. I went home. And finally, how to get them to consistently eat regardless of angle or goofs. Thanks, Scott. That's just gonna be practice makes perfect, good presentation, getting their blind spot. I have not found that these fish are leader shy. Last week, I was using 10 pound Berkeley Vanish, and they were not spooked. It was me spooking them, not my fly hitting the water. So that is it for the carp cast. I promised this, I told you it was gonna take a long time. I've been talking about it for a year. That's it. That's everything I could find on carp in months and months and months of research. If you want this document, send me a note. If not, just listen and take notes with what I am saying. Coming up next on the podcast is gonna be Chris Woods, CEO of Trout Unlimited. And we've got some Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival information. And looks like we've got a steelhead trip coming up. So stay tuned. If you or somebody you know would like to sponsor a podcast, you can contact me at robsnowwhite.com. We can talk about rates or product exchanges and go over analytics to make sure that you are getting a return on your investment. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consulted podcast. Podcast producer Jason, do your thing.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. cooper and you're listening to hunt make your mark podcast on the waypoint podcast network stick around as i bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life in wild country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment